sound familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Hormone imbalances can cause some pretty complicated situations with a breastfeeding mother's milk supply. How's a mom to know if her thyroid is the culprit? And what are some symptoms of a thyroid condition for a breastfeeding mother? I'm so excited to welcome back today's expert, Lisa Morosco, an international board certified lactation consultant and co-author of the Breastfeeding Mother's Guide to Making More Milk. Today we are discussing how your thyroid can affect your milk supply. This is The Boob Group, episode 75. Breast milk, it does a baby good. Silly daddy, boobs are for babies. I make milk, what's your superpower? If my breastfeeding offends you, put a blanket over your head. Dairy diva, don't be lactose intolerant. Nursing nature's own breast enhancement. Meals on heels. Whoever said there's no use crying over spilled milk, never had to pump. Breast milk, all udders are inferior. Whatever your point of view, we're here to support your breastfeeding goals. We're the boob group, because mothers know breast. Welcome to The Boob Group, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. The Boob Group is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for all things related to breastfeeding. I'm your host, Robin Kaplan. I'm also an international board-certified lactation consultant and owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. Did you know that all of our episodes are now free? Yes, I said it. We have opened up our archives so that our listeners have access to all of our episodes anytime, anywhere. Just download them from our website, theboobgroup.com. Our apps, which are found on iTunes and the Amazon Marketplace, or subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and have our episodes automatically added to your account each week. Today, we are joined by two lovely panelists in the studio. Ladies, will you please introduce yourselves? Hi there. My name is Jenny Ikuda. I'm 24. I work with children with special needs as a Navy contractor. I have one daughter, and she is six months old. Hi, my name is Barbara Clark. I'm 44 years old and I work at a community college and I have a six-month-old son, Daniel. And he's here in the studio, so if you hear any cooing or anything like that, we have an adorable little muffin sitting right here to my left that I get to look at. So, <laughs> um, And also just want to say hi to our, um, our producer, MJ. MJ, you want to say hello to everyone and also tell um, our listeners about the virtual panelist program we have going on. Yes. Well, I'm MJ. I'm 37. Um, I am a stay-at-home mom to Jason, who's 27 months old, um, just doing what I love being a caretaker. Taker, and now I get to um, have the um, 
uh, ability to help mamas with breastfeeding, uh, thanks to Robin bringing me on. And one of my jobs is to um, bring the online community into our studio here. So um, if you're not able to be in the studio, you can still be a part of the shows, give your opinions, share your experiences wherever you are by being a virtual panelist. And we're going to post live um, updates, um, give information, and we're asking you the same questions that we're asking our in-studio panelists. Um, we may even read your response on the air. And at the end of the day, we're going to pick a winner. So um, if you're contributing to the online conversation, you might be able to receive a free month subscription to the Boob Group Club. And if you're on Twitter, just make sure you use the hashtag uh, Boob Group VP. All right. Thanks, MJ. Thank you. And we'll be right back. <coughs> Sound familiar? <coughs> if your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Hi, Boob Group. My name is Autumn, and I am a pre- and postnatal fitness expert from MyTailoredFitness.com. Did you know that you can safely exercise while breastfeeding without affecting your milk supply? Studies show that even intense exercise does not change the quality or quantity of a mother's milk supply, nor does it affect your baby's weight gain. But you do need to make sure you're eating enough calories and drinking enough water to replace those nutrients you were using during your workout. Studies show if your daily calories drop below 1,500, your milk supply can be affected. So make sure to include healthy, nutrient-rich snacks into your daily routine. You will also need additional water to stay hydrated during and after exercise. To make exercise more comfortable, you should buy a supportive sports bra. You may also find it helpful to breastfeed your baby right before you exercise. To learn more about exercising after your baby arrives, check out the blog at MyTailoredFitness.com. We have lots of helpful information for this special time of life. And keep listening to The Boob Group for more breastfeeding tips. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Today on The Boob Group, we're discussing how your thyroid can affect your milk supply. Our expert, Lisa Morosco, is an international board-certified lactation consultant in private practice and with WIC in Santa Barbara, California. She is also the co-author of The Breastfeeding Mother's Guide to Making More Milk and a contributing editor to the core curriculum for lactation consultants. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa, and welcome back to the show. 
Thank you so much. I'm excited to be back. Thank you. So, Lisa, can you explain the role of the thyroid in general and how wh- what it does during pregnancy and lactation? So, generally speaking, the thyroid kind of has a nickname. We all know the pituitary as a master gland, but the thyroid is sometimes called the other master gland. It plays a very important role in driving, especially metabolism. It has influences in all different parts of the body, but it really runs our metabolism. So you think of uh, burning, you know, burning a lot of calories, burning calories slow, you know, fast and slow, how quickly your body is metabolizing everything. That, that's really what it does. And so it, it, during pregnancy, not only are you running your body, but you're also actually going to be helping the baby a little bit. So the thyroid works extra hard during pregnancy. Okay. And any difference during lactation? Well, that, that's, uh, we're not really quite sure. Okay. We, nobody has really looked. Um, there are some animal studies that see some differences in thyroid function and how actually um, some of the conversion um, of the of thyroid hormones kind of shifts over and gives preference to the breast during lactation. So uh, there, I haven't found any human studies talking about that, but that's what they've seen in the animal studies. So um, there are probably some things going on that we're not highly aware of yet. Okay. And what can cause low or high thyroid in a woman? Well, that, that's kind of a, a big question because there are a lot of different things. If I want to kind of back up and say men and women, their thyroid dysfunction is a lot higher in women than it is in men. Um, and if you just think about it, men, their hormone levels are pretty static during their lifetime, but we've got menstrual cycles. We're up, we're down, then we have pregnancy and everything's climbing real high, then we give birth and they drop. We have a lot of changes going on in our body and uh, the change in demand that we are, the constant fluctuations in that change in demand, I think kind of make us more vulnerable to developing thyroid dysfunction. So you can have high thyroid, which is too much thyroid hormone, a very rapid metabolism. You can have low thyroid hormone, which is not enough, and it's a very slow metabolism. And these things can be caused just sometimes just by shifts in different things we're going through, like having a baby. Um, they can also be caused by me- certain medications. Things like uh, cigarette smoking can actually cause hyperthyroidism too much, and diabetes can affect it. Um, lack of iodine in the diet, exposure to certain contaminants like um, perchlorate. So there are a number of different factors that can um, play into whether you develop, you know, if a woman develops high thyroid or low thyroid. Okay, and when are most women diagnosed with either having a high thyroid or a low thyroid? Well, you know, I don't know that there is an answer to that question. You can be, you know, some women are, especially if it runs in the family, it just onsets, you know, earlier. Sometimes the first time it ever happens is during the pregnancy. Sometimes the first time it happens is postpartum. Sometimes the first time it happens is later, and I'm not, I don't actually know the statistics if there's one time that occurs more than another. Okay, well, and it's good to know. I mean, it can happen pretty much throughout your entire lifetime, so it's something that's important to keep checking. Okay, Um, I'd love to open this up to our panelists now. So, ladies, um, when were you first diagnosed with either having a low thyroid or high thyroid? Barbara, do you mind going first? Um, I was first diagnosed probably about four years ago. Uh, My husband and I have been married for five years, and we knew he wanted to immediately start trying to have uh, a baby. 
and it was one of the screening tests that my my regular MD did. And then from there, I started taking Synthroid when I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. Um, so, and and I worked also with a naturopathic doctor to get some of the other numbers uh, better uh, controlled. Okay. So. Thank you. How about you, Jenna? Um, I was first diagnosed probably six years ago, now that I think about it, and I was going through some different things, health things in my life that I was trying to figure out and nobody could figure it out. And they finally did a thyroid test after about a year of not knowing what was going on. And they found out that I was low, severely low. Um, and then I went and saw also a naturopathic doctor just when I was pregnant. And she told me, well, you know, that thyroid issue, you could kind of alleviate some of the issues with going on a gluten-free diet. Um, and I also at that time switched from Synthroid to a NatureThroid, which is just um, a different form of it in a more natural form to be absorbed into your blood system. And I went on a gluten-free diet. Okay. And ladies, um, w- were you told prenatally when um, that having a thyroid condition could possibly affect your milk supply? Barbara, how about you? Um, I don't remember hearing that from anybody. So, yeah, no, okay. I don't think so. How about you, Jenna? No. No, neither one <laughs> No of one ever even breached that topic. Okay. Lisa, if a mother knows that she has a thyroid condition, um, when would you recommend having her levels tested postpartum? Um, I know a lot of people will say wait till six weeks. Are you? Do you recommend that she does it qu- sooner than that? And should she expect to see a big shift in her levels? Well, actually, I'd like to take that backwards a little bit, a little because if you know before you're having a baby that you've got low thyroid, um, hopefully they're going to be monitoring you, you know, pretty closely during the pregnancy. But I would really push for that, you know, and because thyroid can affect the pregnancy and it can affect the baby. You're giving away thyroid hormone to the baby during the pregnancy, so women who are low thyroid are going to become may become lower still. So especially for low thyroid women, you want, to be, you want to be tracked really closely. Once you've had the baby, you also want to kind of keep an eye on. The way I kind of see it, if I have somebody who um, had a history before of low thyroid milk supply problems, um, I'm going to be really on top of things. Uh, and if there's the slightest hint of problems, you know, I'm going to ask for them to check her thyroid hormone now, the first week, the first two or three weeks. At the first question mark of problems, I'd like to know where things are at. If things are going well, you know, then we can let them keep ride. And typically around the six-week time is when they're going to recheck it. Okay. Um, should a woman expect to see big shifts in her levels, or is it really just very personal? It is personal. Some women don't even have a change in their thyroid hormone requirement, and we're talking hypothyroid right now. Some don't have a change, some do, and they have to take extra thyroid hormone. One of the things that happens is so you are, you know, as I said, you're giving away thyroid hormone during the pregnancy. Once the baby is born, you're not giving that extra part away. And so the extra that you needed could actually throw you the other direction and make you hyperthyroid. And, and again, that is very personal, but I've had cases where the woman went from hypo to hyper. She became over-treated when the medications didn't get adjusted fast enough. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. Um, ladies, did you notice a shift in your thyroid levels postpartum, and when did you have them tested? Jenna? Uh, I had mine tested 
at two weeks, four weeks, and six weeks. And I, too, like Lisa was just saying, had that happen where I went hyper at about four weeks and couldn't understand what was going on. My milk supply was already tenuous as it was. And I went back and got tested, and we had to reduce my thyroid medication at that time. And then about 12 weeks, it kind of evened out again, and I had to go back on a higher dosage of the thyroid medication that I was on. Okay, how about you, Barbara? Um, I had my thyroid checked um, a few times, and I know one of the times was at the four-week level, and I think at another point. I don't remember if it was before or after, but... um, (laughs) he's not happy mama's talking right now (laughs) um yeah and i did i did have to change the dosage of my medication yeah so lisa um you know our panelists are here they're talking about how they saw the shift in their thyroid levels and having to get their levels tested um postpartum what exactly can the effects be of having a low thyroid or high thyroid on lactation So this is a very important question. We have had a general sense for a long time that low thyroid can affect lactation. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of good human research, but we've kind of understood that. But there's some animal research that has occurred in the last decade looking both at low thyroid and high thyroid. And pretty much what they discovered is that with low thyroid, you get some, you get a sluggish breast growth during the pregnancy if if there's low thyroid during the pregnancy, and you get kind of a sluggish lactation, the prolactin's not working as good, and also you get a sluggish milk ejection. The oxytocin is affected somewhat. Then when they looked at hyperthyroid, and um, what they did with some rats is they actually made them hyperthyroid during the pregnancy um, so that they were not well controlled. They wanted to see what happens when it's out of control. They had like very fast um, I want to say like breast growth, very rapid growth, and uh, the milk came in and lots of it, but it couldn't come out. And, and what they realized is that, again, there was a problem with oxytocin. And so the women who had uh, high thyroid actually, or not to say women, but the, you know, having high thyroid, you can have lots of milk, but it, it, if it's really severe coming out of the pregnancy, it may not come out, and there have been cases where women have actually had engorgement, could not get the milk out, and then it dried up. But there's another aspect to this, too, that gets interesting. If a woman has a mild degree of hyperthyroidism, and especially if she notices it starts to develop after the baby's born, a different type of effect, it can cause, you know, like I said, you get faster metabolism and faster milk making. You can actually get, like, oversupply. And sometimes you hear about women talking about how they have overactive um, milk ejection reflex or they're worried about um, having four milk, high milk imbalance. And what actually may be behind some of these cases is somebody might have even like a postpartum hyperthyroidism that hasn't been picked up that is speeding up that production. So it's kind of confusing, but as you can see, you can kind of have different results depending on when that thyroid dysfunction started and how bad it was. Okay. And that's so interesting because we, you know, as a lactation consultant, I, obviously I work with both sides of the spectrum, the low supply and the oversupply. And I don't think anything has ever been brought up with the moms who have this really oversupply that's become quite a challenge um, to have their thyroid checked. Yeah, I know. I, I, they, they do. That's on my list of things 
got to check that when you see that happening. Now, you had mentioned, you know, oxytocin and how it, do you feel like it kind of stunts it a little bit? Is that kind of what's going on? So the milk is there either with, with both of them. Is the oxytocin affected with low thyroid as well? What they're finding is that there's the ox, oxytocin release is affected. Okay. So that, you know, normally you had, you know, if a baby sucks, you get a pulse of oxytocin, and that's, that was very poor or missing, depending on how bad it was. And it was interesting because it goes with both hypo and hyper, but my impression is that it's a bigger deal with hyper. I, I could be wrong. I, we need more information. But both, it's, it's, like, it's interesting because both prolactin and oxytocin can be affected with both conditions. And how is the prolactin levels? Um, how are they affected? They're they're lower. They're just they're they're kind of, I want I want to call them sluggish. Sluggish. I, that's a great way of putting it. Not bad, but they're lower. They're lower than average. Well, and I think a lot of women who have hypothyroid have that sluggish sense anyway. So it's kind of it makes a lot of sense that the breasts are kind of sluggish as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, wonderful. Well, we will, um, we will be right back, and we will continue this discussion with Lisa um, about how a mom's supply could be affected by her thyroid as well as ways to possibly increase it if it is affected. So we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the show. We are here with Lisa Morosco, who is an international board certified lactation consultant and co-author of the Breastfeeding Mother's Guide to Making More Milk. So Lisa, which test should a mother ask for if she suspects that her thyroid is causing her to have a low milk supply? So low milk supply or, or otherwise, milk problems with letdown or even sure. hyper supply, probably you can see all three. Um, it's just, just you want to go back to your doctor and ask for a check of your, just a thyroid panel. And a lot of people will just do the TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone, because it's sort of like a barometer for what's going on with the thyroid gland. But because you can have what's called subclinical conditions that just TSH might not pick up, um, if you have a good reason to be suspicious, I would recommend the TSH, T3, T4, and then there's another one, and it's thyroid antibodies because um, if you have thyroid antibodies, something is brewing, and if you don't have a full-blown problem now, it could develop. So those are the four tests that I would recommend minimum. Okay, and where where can we find these normal ranges is it, uh, for the thyroid level for all of these tests that you're recommending? Is it something you can quote very easily, or is it something that we need to look up? And is there a difference between that and what the normal ranges are for pregnancy? So if you have a, a lab test, the lab results will have ranges printed on them, and we generally go by that, and I'm going to say generally because um, the thing that's interesting about lab ranges is that they can vary. So a number that might be inside of range in California might be out of range in Florida. <laughs> and same number, you know, one person could be diagnosed as hypothyroid, another person told, well, you're still a normal. Um, what I'd like to say about that is that there is a lot of discussion in the reproductive endocrinology field right now about this, and what they are finding is that um, the ideal TSH is 1.0. You'll see ranges, reference ranges, like maybe 0.3 to 4 or something like that, and you, you always think, you know, middle is good, but for TSH, 1.0 is ideal, and they find that 
There are fewer miscarriages. Pregnancies go better when you keep that number real tight. So they, they really try and keep it between about 0.5 and maybe 2, maybe 2.5, maybe 2, 2.5 around there. The t- if it's kept real tight. So if somebody's on the outer edges of either of those, I'm going to be a little more concerned even if the lab report says they're normal because I know that the body, that reproductive-wise the body works better when it's in a tighter range. Now, nobody's actually done real research um, about what, you know, it should it be different during lactation except for there is one study, Allison Stubbe, who is a breastfeeding medicine physician in North Carolina, did look at T4, she looked at free and total T4, and, and just and she did it pre and post breastfeeding. And, you know, the numbers were, didn't change too much. So it I don't, doesn't seem like there's any fluctuations, but that was a very um, small study. And we really, that's a, it's an excellent question. Is it normal for thyroid hormone to be different? I can tell you that I ran across a couple of studies in animals that suggest that um, you're using more T4 during lactation than they than they are when when they're not lactating. So to be answered still. Okay. All right. Um, we're going to open this up to our panelists now. So ladies, what what did in the beginning your milk supply look like? What does it look like now? Is this something? Is milk supply something that you struggled with? Uh, Jenna, do you mind going first? Sure. I still struggle with milk supply. Uh, In the beginning, it was awful, and we saw a lactation consultant often. And still, to this day, we still have issues here and there with uh, taking things that are contraindicated for breastfeeding and keeping a good supply. So we, we still take herbs, and we still do a ton of other things to keep my supply up. Okay. How about you, Barbara? Um, Well, that was one of the things when um, our pediatrician first came to the hospital uh, the day after Daniel was born. Um, She said she was concerned based on my age and hypothyroidism, and she wanted me to pump uh, over the next 24 hours, which I did and got, I guess, a a ton of colostrum so that when she came back the next day, she said, oh, I'm not worried about you. You don't need to pump. You've got plenty. No no worries. And then... um, I did not pump and I just breastfed him for a couple of months and about um, two to three months um, um, after he was born, uh, we had an issue with uh, his rate of weight gain really slowing down um, significantly to the point where the doctor was was concerned and said she wanted me to start supplementing um, with formula, um, which I was very hesitant to do but which I still do now and um, I pump when that happens and I only give him one bottle of formula a day. So, um, you know, otherwise he's getting all his nutrients from breastfeeding other than that one bottle and he's doing very well, so. That's great, yeah. that's so great. So I think the supply is there now, but I, I think it did kind of falter at around two or three months. Okay. Um, MJ, did any of our virtual panelists want to share anything about this? Yeah, you know, um, back to the um, the shift in the thyroid levels. Um, Alice Castor says I was hypothyroid before, and while it didn't change my while I was pregnant, it went crazy after. Um, it finally settled in the last few months that her um, baby is 11 months old. Um, but asks an interesting question about um, is 
the thyroid um, level likely to change when they wean? So I thought that was... Oh, that is an interesting question. Um, Lisa, do you mind answering that? Have you seen any studies that talk about thyroid level changing after the mom weans? No, I think I'm going to write that down and look into that, though. <laughs> that, that, that's a great question. But there is one thing I did just want to mention. There's something called postpartum thyroid dysfunction, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, but um, you, it, can, it onsets anywhere from, uh, you know, from a f- couple weeks after delivery, a few months after delivery. The onset can be any time in the first year after delivery. It can start off as hypothyroid and then eventually swing to hyper. It's like the body overcorrects. It can start off as hyper and then it can swing to hypo, again, an overcorrection. Or it can be just hypo or it can be just hyper. <laughs> Which, and, 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 and the tough thing is, you know, for somebody who is hypothyroid, sluggish metabolism, they're feeling tired all the time, you know, just, you know, not so much energy. Doesn't that just sound like a normal new mother? Ah, uh, I know. So, so it's, that often doesn't get picked up right away. You know, unless you already have that history and you know what it feels to be high, you know, you, you know what doesn't feel right. The hyper side, you know, that higher energy level, jitteriness, having trouble sleeping, um, those types of symptoms, um, you may or may not, still, they, you, you still may not be aware completely of what's going on, but I think it's a little more obvious. But because everything can present so differently, uh, a lot of times people don't really realize that's happening. It, you know, it may or may not get uh, diagnosed, and especially the one that goes hyper to hypo usually doesn't get diagnosed until you go to hypo. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Lisa, with obviously lots of conversations between moms when they're dealing with milk supply about um, herbs that they can take. Um, and I remember attending a lecture of yours a couple months ago, and you mentioning that there were actually some herbs that moms who have thyroid conditions um, that they actually shouldn't take. And so do you mind talking about that a little bit? I would be happy, but I'd like to step back before I do that and just mention that the first most important thing, if you have low milk supply and you know that there's some thyroid dysfunction going on, um, we need to treat the thyroid dysfunction because throwing herbs or any kind of galactagogue at it is not treating the thyroid. So the first thing we want to do is make sure that we're treating the thyroid problem, whether it's high or low, and it's safe to breastfeed and to do that. And then on top of that, you can add some, um, you can add stuff like herbs. But um, it is true that there are some herbs that are reputed to help milk production that are what I call thyroid effective. Um, and there are three in particular that are, have some anti-thyroid activity. And one of them is very well known. It's fenugreek. Um, the second one is malungay, which is another one of my favorites. Um, there is one study for each of these where they tested them on mice and rats. And the, the one thing I do want to say is they use a lot more than we do. I think I calculated at one point that it was like maybe 40 capsules a day, the equivalent of doses oh, wow. that they were using, a lot of it, more than we take. But it did bring down, it reduced the T3. And because of that, when I have women with a history of low thyroid and you know, struggling with milk supply, you know, it may or may not affect them, but I'd rather err on the side of caution. Let's use something else. There's lots of other good things out there. Now, there are a couple of um, 
galactagogues that actually have positive stimulating. So ashwagandha, few people have heard of that, um, but it stimulates T3. Um, milk thistle improves the T4 to T3 conversion. Um, there's red clover increased the total and free T3 in use. And um, vervain is considered supportive. Nettle is considered supportive. So for low thyroid, those are all good choices. How about for high thyroid? If you're high thyroid, go for that malenge and fenugreek. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point. Um, and then while moms are taking herbs, would you recommend that they have their thyroid levels tested again after they've been on the herbs for a couple weeks to see if, for example, if they were hyperthyroid and they're taking fenugreek and, or malenge, um, do you think it's worth it to have them tested again to make sure those herbs aren't actually um, lowering it too low or anything like that? Again, I want to just mention that in those studies, they are using a whole lot more of it than we use. My expectation is not that it's going to have this big impact on somebody, but um, as a researcher, I would love to see people get tested. I would love, love, love to see somebody get tested before and afterwards and see if it affected it or not. I mean, that would be awesome, awesome information because we just, we don't even know. And does it matter at the timing of when the, um, when the herb is taken and when the thyroid medication is taken? Um, you know, I would separate them and mostly because, well, something, for instance, like fenugreek, fenugreek, if you take the seed, has a lot of fiber in it and fiber can affect the absorption of medication. So, Mm -hmm. Um, depending on what, you know, if you have a, a, a liquid, it doesn't have all the fiber in it typically, but depending on what kind of form, I just recommend generally separating them so you just don't have that effect. Okay. Um, ladies in the panel, um, what type of herbs have you taken to increase your supply and do you think any of them worked well? Um, Jenna, we'll start with you. Um, I've taken fenugreek, fennel, um, <laughs> milk thistle, <laughs> ashwagandha I'm on currently. I've taken them all. I, I like have gone through this laundry list of all of the different ones that I've tried. Do you I feel like any of, of them have worked better than the other for you? Definitely ashwagandha. That <laughs> has totally helped supply and it has helped my energy levels throughout the day and I can sleep at night again. So, Do um, capsule, tincture, how are you taking it? Capsule. Capsule. Yeah. Okay. All right. How about you, Barbara? Um, uh, after working with a naturopathic doctor, um, I started taking fenugreek and she, um, as Lisa suggested, she also suggested that I take it at least four hours after my Synthroid medication. So I take fenugreek in capsule form and also blessed thistle in capsule form. Okay. Um, MJ, what are our virtual panelists saying? Uh, we've got a comment from Nicole uh, Debise Rogers. She says that she takes fenugreek as well. Uh, she thinks that it works great and her daughter's going to be one uh, coming up soon and she noticed a decrease in milk a few months w- when she got her period and that it helped immensely. Ah, yeah. All right. Um, anything, Lisa, you want to add about the herbs that the moms were taking or all sounds pretty similar to most of the moms that you're working with? Yeah, I, you know, the fenugreek is, not, and it's interesting because I've had a couple of women after I started talking about this who did come back and say, you know, I didn't feel right when I was taking fenugreek. Um, and they, they actually noticed some effects. So, I, you know, if you're taking it, make sure it really is helping you. If, you. if there's a question mark, 
there's so many other herbs that you can do out there. It's not the only herb in, you know, in the market. And um, I just steer away from it just because, just because I, if, if, if somebody's low thyroid. I really love that um, it sounds like both the panelists have uh, worked with naturopaths. And I would highly recommend that because this is getting into it because we're using them therapeutically. But I, I have a um, strategy, a, a philosophy of picking galactagogues that not only have a reputation of increasing milk, but if they have also have a second property that addresses the condition that's causing the problem, in this case, low thyroid. And that's why, for instance, those ones that boost thyroid. But at the same time, you, you know, if you have somebody like a naturopath, you know, somebody who has studied this in depth to guide you and help you make these choices and monitor you, um, I find that they're wonderful, just wonderful for really making sure that things are working properly for you. Absolutely. And Lisa, you know, um, Jenna mentioned also going on a gluten-free diet to be very helpful with um, with her thyroid condition. And so do you find that there are any diets that are helpful with increasing supply for a mom who has a thyroid condition? Um, for example, I've heard women who with Hashimoto's should try gluten-free because um, it reduces inflammation. Um, have you heard anything about any other diets or what's your, what's your, what are your thoughts on it? You know, I, that's the first time I've heard about that. Um, and that's very interesting. I'd like to look into that some more. I, um, there, there's just so many different aspects to look at. I just haven't spent a lot of time on the nutrition side. So, um, but I'll, anything, anything that is going to help your thyroid, whether I've heard of it or not, is <laughs> anything that brings your thyroid closer into balance is going to help optimize your milk supply, and that's the bottom line. Exactly. And Lauren had posted on our Facebook page how how are the thyroid and adrenals related, and how can that affect supply? I don't know the relationship between thyroid and adrenals. I can tell you that the adrenal gland produces cortisol and it also has um, produces uh, some DHEAS is one of the uh, androgens. Um, and so, but I don't know the direct relationship there. Okay, well, that's fine. You've given us a lot of fantastic information, anyway. <laughs> well, that that actually concludes our our interview. So, Lisa, thank you so so much for sharing your vast knowledge with how the thyroid can affect milk supply. And I'm also super excited just to tease this out a little bit that you um, you've you've accepted our our invitation to return um, in a few months to discuss insulin resistance and milk supply. So we're really looking forward to that. And thank you so much for all of your insight into this topic. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Sure. And um, and thank you to our panelists as well. And, and for our Boob Group Club members, our conversation will continue after the end of the show as Lisa will discuss where moms can find literature about thyroid conditions and breastfeeding to provide um, to their practitioners if their practitioners need that information. So, uh, for, the, for more information about our Boob Group Club, please visit our website at theboobgroup.com. Before we wrap things up, here's Wendy Wright talking about breastfeeding tips for the working mom. Hi, Boob Group listeners. I'm Wendy Wright, an internationally board-certified lactation consultant and the owner of Lactation Navigation in Palo Alto, California. I'm here to answer some of your most common questions about returning to work as a breastfeeding mother, such as, why should I continue to breastfeed after I return to work? This is a great question and one that we get all the time. Um, the primary reason to continue to breastfeeding after returning to work is to provide the best nutrition for your baby. 
also, by continuing to breastfeed after your return to work, um, and by that I mean pumping while you're at work and then breastfeeding while you're with your infant together, it does make it possible for you to continue to breastfeed on the weekends and evenings. Um, it's a great way to maintain a special closeness with your baby, even when you must be apart for work or for travel. Another reason to continue breastfeeding after you return to work is to save money. Um, purchasing a can of formula every week to provide your infant can get very, very expensive. And um, by pumping your own breast milk while at work, you'll definitely see the financial impact for your family. Another nice reason to continue breastfeeding when you return to work is it does help you avoid some of the health risks associated with formula feeding, such as higher incidence of ear infections, higher incidence of respiratory infections, and in general, just an overall improved health for your infant with breast milk. And the last reason to continue that I'd just like to mention is that the American Academy of Pediatrics does recommend mothers and babies exclusively breastfeed for the first six months of life. In the United States, the average woman returns to work about six weeks after delivery of her child, and that definitely falls within the first six months of life. So by continuing to breastfeed after you're returning to work, you're providing the best health for you and your baby. Please remember to visit www.lactationnav.com for more great information about my business, Lactation Navigation. And be sure to listen to the Boob Group for fantastic conversations about breastfeeding and breastfeeding support. This wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to the Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, for expecting parents, and our show, Parent Savers, for moms and dads with newborns, infants, and toddlers. Thanks for listening to the Boob Group, your judgment-free breastfeeding resource. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, Please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.